wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome to today's episode. Let's connect online through Facebook, Instagram and Twitter where we can keep the conversation going. My guest today grew up around the halls of power in the White House, rubbing shoulders with those in the highest office from both sides of politics. More recently, she's written a book about overcoming cancer and how we can avoid or overcome many common illnesses. Get ready for a great episode. Ginny Dentbrand grew up in Washington, D.C., where her father served as senator and three presidents. Ginny has worked for 28 years as a teacher, counsellor and adjunct professor. Together with her husband, she's participated in mission work in Yemen, Gaza, the Czech Republic, Russia, China and Romania. Her book, Unleash Your God-Given Healing, tells the story of her journey through diagnosis and then healing from cancer. I'm very pleased to have her join me on Bleeding Daylight today. Ginny, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be doing an interview all the way across the ocean on the other side of the world. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. And I am looking forward to delving into your book and your work into the sort of life changes that we can all make to reduce the risks of cancer. But first, tell me about those growing up years in the halls of power. What was that like? Washington, D.C. was a wonderful place to grow up as a child. There were patriotic parades. Uh, The traffic wasn't bad back then. And I would go into work with my dad every Saturday to the Senate. And then when he was in the White House, I would go to the White House quite often. It was a wonderful place. All the museums, all the history. And we were friends with people on both sides, Democrats and Republicans. And really, it was a wonderful life. I don't think today it's as wonderful. There's, It's just so divided and so ugly. And of course, politics can always be ugly. But I think we saw more in the, of the good in it back when I was growing up as a child. Maybe I was just naive. But my dad believed in uh, serving the people for the cause of freedom. And what's interesting is he ended up finding true freedom after the Watergate trials in Christ and giving his life to Christ as I was praying for him because I became a Christian through Young Life at age 16. And he ended up going into full-time ministry and ministered in Romania, helped the underground church to plan on the surface and the country to come to freedom. He ministered all over Australia, believe it or not, and different places in the world. So that was, I think, a more exciting part of our life. That's why my first book is called Finding True Freedom from the White House to the World, because when my father gave his life to Christ, God took him from those White House days and all that power and glory to ministering solely for the Lord. It's a fascinating upbringing. And I do want to just touch on something you mentioned there, that divisiveness that we see. And I know very much that it's happening in the US, but it is spilling out right across the world where people seem to become more tribal and Everything that the people on their side do is right, and everything that the people on the other side do is wrong, and we've lost the opportunity to to see a nuanced argument, haven't we? Yes. I think people need to work together more 
And I do think they need to stand for what they believe in because these are some tough issues. But I saw this sign on a church and I thought it was just prophetic. It said, you know, the donkey and the elephant cannot save us. We need to turn to the lamb. And I think that's what's really wrong with America right now is we've gotten away from our religious freedom. We've gotten away from putting God first. And it's not that we were a totally Christian country, but we were a country made up of a majority of Christians. And today, Christianity is what's starting to be persecuted. So things are changing here rapidly, as the Bible said you know, can happen. And we have to learn to practice our faith in more of a culture that discriminates against us. I want to touch on this cancer journey that I mentioned now. Tell me, when did you realize that things weren't quite right? Well, actually, I felt wonderful. My husband and I had just completed a 10-kilometer run in Charleston, South Carolina that we walked briskly. And that night, my ring got caught in my nightie. And when it did, I struggled to free it. And that's when I felt a lump. Now, my mother had just died of breast cancer four months earlier. So I was very much aware of what she went through. But I had had fluid-filled cysts before and I wasn't too concerned, but I immediately went to the doctor. And the first shock was when the doctor told me it is cancer. The next week, he told me, It's not only cancer, it's aggressive. And then 10 days later, the surgeon met with me to give me the results of my MRI. And he said, Jenny, it's much worse than we thought. It appears to be in your lymph system, planting other tumors, and in other parts of your body. I was devastated. So I was known as a health nut. It made no sense. I did walk on a regular basis. In my opinion, I ate LPE food but I was to learn that maybe my food wasn't so healthy and maybe I wasn't the health nut that I thought I was. Because when I had no risk factors for the cancer I got, there are eight, I had none of them, and I didn't have any genetics. They did extensive genetic testing. I had nothing to hang my hat on to say, this is why I got an aggressive breast cancer. But that sent me on a quest to discover why I got it, number one, so I could keep it from coming back, and what I could do to help my doctors to beat it and lessen the side effects. I want you to take me back to that moment when you were first told of the diagnosis, because I've heard from other people who say they just went numb and and all the words that came after that initial diagnosis were just lost on them, went over their heads. What was it like for you? I was at school, and believe it or not, I was acting principal for the week. And when the nurse actually gave me the first bad news, and I was just, uh, yeah, I was in shock. I immediately went home after that. I called my husband. I said, honey, it's real. It is cancer because neither one of us thought it was cancer. And as soon as I got home, he threw his arms around me, prayed over me, and asked God to guide us, direct us, and provide healing. And we took a walk for two miles to relieve the stress, but we had to start figuring out what we were going to do with this cancer diagnosis. And one of the first things we decided was to get a second opinion. 
And that is one of the most important things a cancer patient can do, especially once you know you have cancer and what type you have, to go to a specialty cancer center where the people there are experts in your cancer. And we started making plans to do that. What was it like telling friends and family of the diagnosis and about the journey that you then would have in front of you? I'll be honest with you. I was very quiet about it. I did not immediately tell my family members why. My mother had just died of breast cancer. I had a sister a year older. I didn't want to freak her out. And so I waited until I got further information and until those genetic tests came back so I could tell my sister, look, I have breast cancer. And then I could tell her immediately, and it's not genetic. And so that was very important to me. But I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure I wanted people to know that I had cancer, but right before my first surgery, I realized the journey ahead of me, all the risk, all the dangers, the treatments that they had laid out for me to stop this aggressive cancer, and I sent an email out to pastors I knew and to Christians that I trusted requesting prayer, and I do think that's an important thing to do. So I was letting people I knew know about my cancer journey. But I also met with the chaplain at the cancer center. And I just was puzzled how a health nut like me got cancer. And although he couldn't answer that question, and he agreed, it was in my medical records that, you know, we didn't know why this woman had cancer. He said, Jenny, consider it a gift from God for you to help others. You're an author and you're a speaker. And you'll not believe what I said to him. I said, but you don't understand. I don't want this gift. And he said, I can see it now. Your next book about helping other people get through the cancer journey. And the first line is, this is the book I never wanted to write. And his words became prophetic. But he also told me something else important. He said, we don't know why you got cancer. It is a mystery. But we do know this, that people who have healthy lifestyle habits get through the journey better. So don't change your lifestyle. Your healthy lifestyle will help you get through the treatments. And he was right. So you started out in talking to cancer experts, and you've mentioned that anyone who has a diagnosis should be talking to people that know about that specific cancer. But where did your journey take you then? Because you wanted to investigate for yourself. I'm sure that Anytime anyone hears that diagnosis of of cancer, they're, they're given a plan by the medical professionals, but you decided that you wanted to look even further into this, didn't you? Not having the risk factors and not having any genetic factors sent me on a quest to discover what caused it and then what I could do to help my doctors beat it. Now, I have to be honest, my cancer hospital, I chose my second opinion, and that was in Chicago. Cancer Treatment Centers of America, they provided a naturopathic doctor and a nutritionist on my case. And that was wonderful. It's like I had two fairies to guide me. But yes, my research went beyond what they told me. I looked at the Bible thoroughly for what God says about health and nutrition. I looked at the medical research. I read over 50 books. I went to three cancer 
conventions where doctors and cancer patients speak. I listen to online seminars with doctors all over the world who are on the cutting edge of what's causing cancer and what are things that that we can do. So I had this insatiable appetite to learn what I could do to, number one, save my life, get through the journey without horrific side effects, and then lead a productive life afterwards. I did not want to be disabled from the treatments. And it's no secret that sometimes the treatments themselves kill the cancer patient. And sometimes you come out with chronic pain and all these issues because of the treatments. And I wanted to do everything I could to make my prognosis better. And so I just kept searching and searching. And as I prayed, God was like pulling the curtain from my eyes so I could see more of what's causing cancer and what I could do on an everyday basis to get through the journey and prevent it from coming back because, Rodney, the one thing no cancer patient wants is for that cancer to come back. And the one thing that their family and friends want is they don't want to get cancer to begin with. And what I discovered was the same eight things that prevent cancer in the first place are the same eight things that get you through the cancer journey and then prevent the cancer from coming back. No one can guarantee you 100% that you'll never get cancer, or that it won't come back if you're a cancer survivor. But you can certainly increase your chances that it won't. So these are the things that you start to discover. And maybe you can take us through those eight things. What are the things that we need to be adding into our lifestyle that are going to, first of all, reduce the risk, but also help us through that journey should it arrive for us? All right, let me go through some of the key important ones. The first one in my book is proper hydration because every cell, every tissue, every organ, every system in our body requires adequate hydration in order to work, fun- you know, in to order to function properly. And so that is a major cancer preventer. When all of your systems, including your immune system, are working as God intended, you're less likely to get cancer. Now, in America, Research shows that most Americans run around dehydrated, and this is not good. So we need half our body weight in fluid ounces daily, and that's just at a minimum. If it's hot or you're in higher altitude or you feel the cold coming on or you are going through chemotherapy, I was advised to up my hydration by four extra glasses of water a day to ensure The chemo got to every cell, number one, and number two, afterwards, that water would help move the toxins out. And so that increased hydration lessens the side effects of the chemo as well. So it's critical in the chemotherapy journey. So water is just key to life. Even Jesus said he compared himself to us needing him spiritually, to our body's physical need of water. That's a powerful analogy. So hydration is key. I would have to say the second thing that is so important is movement and exercise. Because again, it impacts every cell, every tissue, every organ, every system in your body. Movement is key to healthy living. 
And when you're in the cancer journey, of course, exercise prevents cancer to begin with. But in the chemotherapy journey, whoa, and it's surgery, it's key to recovery. You know, the first thing I did was exercise after I got the diagnosis to relieve stress. Of course, it does that, but it does so many other things. After my first surgery, I wanted all the tubes removed from my body as soon as possible, especially that catheter. The nurse said if I could walk the next morning four rounds of the hospital floor, he would remove it. Well, instead of four rounds, I walked two miles on the hospital floor, dragging my poles and all this medical apparatus behind me. I'm one of the first cancer patients. They released me early after surgery, and they pulled all the tubes we were supposed to babysit for a few months because my lymphatic system took care of it. Your lymphatic system is part of your immune system. And during surgery, I had a lot of lymph fluid that had to come off and was drained through tubes, but it was gone after I walked that two miles on the hospital floor. I also decided to do, just to relieve stress, two miles of walking before each chemo regimen, which was eight hours long, and two miles afterwards. Now, I would later find that this was a key to my doing well during chemo. I was pumping my lymphatic system, pumping the toxins out after they did their job and keeping those toxins from recirculating and building up in my body. And then after I finished chemotherapy a year later, and the doctor said, your red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, in six weeks are back to normal They said, this usually takes two to five years. You're our rock star cancer patient. It was about a year later, research came out in your country. Yes, your country, Rodney. 30 cancer entities came together to say that exercise is one of the best things a cancer patient can do at every part of the treatment. And then MD Anderson in America The next year came out with a study with mice that showed that mice that had a moderate exercise routine during chemotherapy fared better. And so that's just how exercise helped, including when I'm on the estrogen blocking pill, your bone density goes down. Chemotherapy makes your bone density goes down. I'm using exercises to keep my bone density up. It's remarkable that the things that you're talking about here are just simple good living, to, to make sure that we've got plenty of water, plenty of hydration, to make sure that we're moving. And yet so often we're after the magic pill, whatever it is, whether it's for cancer, whether it's for weight loss, whatever it is, we're seeking after a magical pill. And, and certainly medical science has come a long way and there's some wonderful medicines that are available. But why do you think it is that we go chasing after that rather than the simple building blocks of life? The Bible tells us to take care of our temple. And yes, you're right, Rodney. We tend to run to the doctor and say, fix this. Doctor, kill my cancer. Doctor, I have high blood pressure. Doctor, I have high cholesterol. Doctor, I have type 2 diabetes. It's your job to fix it. And what I'm telling people is, no, be part of the cure. It's your job to have these basic building blocks in place. All the eight building blocks in my book 
Keep your immune system working as God intended. It is our responsibility to take care of the temple. We should go to our doctor asking, doctor, how can I lower my blood pressure? How can I control my type 2 diabetes? Type 1 is something, you know, that you you really can't help and you need to eat sensibly, but it's not something that you necessarily caused. Type 2 diabetes is pretty much caused by your lifestyle. And we need to ask our doctor what we can do so maybe we don't have to take those medication and shots. And so we put a lot on the doctors today. And don't get me wrong, people are living longer because of surgeries, because of medications for the heart and all these heart procedures and neonatal care. I mean, we're blessed in Australia and in America with some wonderful things. But we need to be asking first and foremost, doctor, tell me what my part is. Tell me what I can do. And you're right. The doctor doesn't have time to be our food Nazi and and instruct us on these basic building blocks. But if they do take the time to do that, listen and carry through. How much do you think we need to find the doctor who is going to help us through that? Because I do remember many years ago, not that I visit the doctor too often, but for some issues that I was facing, I I was so pleased to find a doctor whose first answer wasn't, I'll write you a prescription. His first answer was to say, okay, these are some of the steps that you can take. How important is that, that we find a doctor who is prepared to help us in that way? They are hard to find, but they are out there. And I won't go to a doctor that doesn't do that. My cancer center did that. And my regular family doctor here in South Carolina, you know, he'll tell me things that I can do to lower my blood sugar so that I don't have to go on medication as I age. Because we're all going towards that type 2 diabetes because of our processed diet. And he he gives me suggestions on that first, and then if needed, he will give me the medication. You have to hunt to find those doctors, but they are out there. And I found that the younger doctors being trained in medical school today are getting more training in nutrition and some of these other things that, that are so important. And they're more willing to give you that advice. But you do have to hunt to find those doctors. And again, neither of us are saying that we should stop all medication. Our doctors have that as part of their toolkit, but it needs to be part of it, not all of it. Isn't that right? Right, it does. And I tell people this, if you're trying to lower your blood pressure and your blood sugar, then you do it in conjunction and working with your doctor. Tell them what you want to do. Get suggestions from them. Research on your own. And then as you go to the doctor and your blood pressure and your blood sugar numbers change, they'll reduce your your medication. But let them know what you're trying to do and they will work with you. As you've started to outline these things in your book and people have started to, to read it through... What has the response been from some of the people that have been reading through the book and going through their own health journey, whether that be cancer or anything else? Well, you know, some people have said, oh, gosh, I can't do this. I would really rather, you know, not live as long and risk cancer coming back than to change my lifestyle. Now, that's mainly people my age saying that. They say, well, I don't want to know all this. I started reading it. No, I don't want to know this. I'd rather not know and just live my life as I want to because they're resistant to change. I find that the younger families are the ones, and some older, that are saying, you know, 
I've seen too much cancer, too much Alzheimer's, too much this, too much that. I don't want my family to go there. I'm willing to change. But I will tell you, I'm helping some pastors in New York City. And one of them, 75 years old, stage four cancer, he turned everything around in one day. Most of the recommendations, look, he read them, he implemented them, and it's miraculous how well he's doing. It's very difficult at 75 years of age to turn a stage four cancer diagnosis around, and he is doing great. He's doing what the book says, but it's rare that a 75-year-old person can make those lifestyle changes at that age, but he's doing, doing it willingly. And it's like the Lord's just guiding him. He's implementing what I say in the book. He's got a great doctor. All of that together, he may come out of this stage four cancer. He's definitely going to live longer, but he wants to live to see his grandchildren. As you're looking at all the evidence and you're reading all the books and you're finding out more and more about how to prevent and overcome cancer, did you find things that you really didn't know about healthy lifestyle? You'd already mentioned that you've been living a healthy lifestyle up to this point, but did you find things that helped you even further? Oh, absolutely. In looking back, I was better than the average American in what I ate and exercise and what I did but it was not good enough. I was still way off the mark. And as, again, as we were asking Rodney God to guide us, and he was pulling back the curtain from our eyes, things happened that I never could anticipate. After the chemotherapy journey, I got involved with an infrared sauna to reduce the toxins in my body. And from that, I got involved in a clinical trial study with that sauna company that was measuring the toxic chemicals in my body. I didn't know I had toxic chemicals in my body beyond the chemo. I I just didn't know. 15 came up high on my test through this urine test. And I had to work. It took years to get those toxins down to reasonable levels. And a lot of those toxins were hormone disrupting chemicals, what we call xenoestrogens, which the doctors later said when they saw my test results, this helped to drive your cancer. We finally found one of the reasons for your cancer. Another thing I learned is that it's important as Christians how we manage stress and emotions. They always say, look back when you get a cancer diagnosis 15 years and what was going on in your life? Well, I can tell you what was going on in my life. The chaplain said, I was lucky to be alive. All four of our parents went through Alzheimer's, cancer, heart disease, and another cancer, and we were the caretakers. And we were living the rat race life. And I was in a continual grief cycle where I couldn't come out of it because my dad's journey with Alzheimer's was a good eight to 10 year journey of grief. And so grief, that long term that you can't get out of, can suppress your immune system. I began to learn all these things about why the Bible tells us in Philippians, as Paul's in prison, to pray about everything, give thanks in everything, and keep your mind set on the good things that are happening around you. Meditate on his word, pray, gratitude, hope, all these promises in the Bible, when you do that, 
instead of looking at all the negative circumstances around you, you put your body in a better mode to heal and to help your doctor beat your cancer. Your doctor has no control over your diet, your health practices, or your mind and your negative attitude. That positive Christian mindset is important in getting through the cancer journey and life in general. I was going to say, there's a determination that keeps coming through with what you're saying. First of all, when you hear that diagnosis, as shocking as it must have been, you and your husband determined to do something about it, that you were going to beat this if you could, and you you worked your way towards doing that. How important is it to have that positive determination, and especially in this case, to have that grounded in the scripture, to have it grounded in your faith? It's probably, Rodney, the most important thing in fighting disease. One of my pastor friends told me that as many people as he has stood by when they have had an illness, a really serious illness, he can tell you which ones are going to do well by their attitude. When your thinking and your attitude is grounded in your faith, it makes a huge difference in a journey. I mean, you have to look at it this way. My husband and I sat down and said, what's the worst thing that can happen from this diagnosis? And that is, I could die. In the spiritual sense, that means I would graduate to heaven. So if that's the worst thing, then what am I worried about? Here I was on this roller coaster ride of fear and worry, which only drives cancer. And I realized I had to get off of that and ground myself in my faith. Yes, fear and worry is a normal part, and it's going to pop its ugly head throughout this journey. But either you ride the roller coaster or you get off of it and ride your faith instead. And it makes a huge difference. Your emotions and how you manage stress can free your immune system to work better on your behalf. Your husband is on this journey with you. He's trying to help you discover the best way to to counteract this cancer that's attacking your body. But I imagine that the health efforts that you're making for yourself weren't just for you alone, but that your husband is probably joining you on this as well. And and you're advising him on some of the things that are going to help both of you to better health. Amen. You know, when one changes and you see the power of that, He did change with me. Now, I'm not going to say he's as picky as I am, but my husband was my greatest support during the cancer journey. I lost important parts of my body. I lost every hair on my head. And every morning when I wake up and not want to look in the mirror, he would say to me, Jenny, you're still the most beautiful woman east of the Mississippi River. So that love and that support helps someone You know, that boosts your immune system. And a lot of research shows having loving support during the cancer journey is important to every cancer patient. And his willingness to join me in this journey and change what we were eating and change what we were doing to benefit both of us. You know, he did it mainly for me because, you know, he wanted me, me to live. And yes, he is reaping the benefits as well. But I look at people in churches, I look at these cancer patients who whose husband leaves them when they get a cancer diagnosis, or they're in the middle of a divorce when the cancer diagnosis comes. They need their church family to love them and support them and stand behind them and help them through the journey. 
I'm wondering about those people who know that you have cancer and yet are not sure how to talk to you about it. Did you find that there were people like that who who wanted to be on that journey with you, who wanted to provide support, but just didn't quite know what to say? You know, I didn't find a lot of that. I had a lot of people writing me prayers and sending me cards and, you know, calling me up to see how I was doing. There may have been some people that felt that way, but I did not know about it. Once I opened up uh, about my journey and started reaching out to help others. Like I say, when that chaplain made that prophetic statement, that book I didn't want to write, not talking about cancer, when I started to come out and talk about it in an effort to help others because God was leading me to do this, then more people felt like they could talk to me about it when they had someone in the journey. And I have people call me all the time to kind of get the bigger picture so they can make the right decisions for themselves. There's a lot of decisions to be made in treatment, in lifestyle, and only that person can make those decisions. I'm there to give them information so they can process it, see the bigger picture, and make the right decision for themselves. Obviously, the book you've written is helping people to overcome cancer when they've had that diagnosis, to work alongside the medical professionals to be able to get the the very best possibility outcomes. I'm sure it's also very helpful for people who say, I just want to live a healthier life, because the sort of things you're talking about are going to help us with a whole range of diseases, aren't they? When I looked back on the eight steps, they're the same eight steps that neurologists are telling you to follow if you want to prevent Alzheimer's and dementia. And that was first on my list to prevent because I do not want that to happen to me after what happened to my dad. And then when we came into this COVID crisis, I started doing further research only to find that if you follow these eight steps and your immune system is working as God intended First of all, you're less likely to catch COVID. Now, COVID is very contagious, so you still need to socially distance and wear a mask and do the the practical things. But even if you get COVID, you're not as likely to have the exaggerated symptoms because your immune system is working as God intended. So if you have a strong immune system, you're less likely to have those severe COVID symptoms. And that gives you a great deal of comfort as this pandemic continues to rage with all of these variants. Now, as well as writing the book, and oftentimes we find someone writes a book and they're they're almost at arm's length. We can read what they've written, but that's about it. I know that you also write a blog and so that you have opportunity to interact with people who are going through various health journeys. What's that like for you to be able to encourage people along the way and have that kind of direct contact? It just makes me feel good inside to be able to come alongside someone in a cancer or health journey and lift their hopes up and help them to see how they can be a part of the cure. I do have a cancer prevention and wellness blog site at my website, www.jennygynnybrant.com. B as in boy, R-A-N-T dot com, people can sign up for. They can also communicate with me and ask me further questions. I got a question last night from a woman, and it took me a whole paragraph to answer it, and I gave her a few links to look at. But being able to help cancer patients to have hope 
and to do better and people just to do better in general with their health is my mission in life because if we're going to serve Christ, we can do more if we are healthy rather than unhealthy. And God can use the cancer journey and our health problems, you know, to teach us. But I really don't think he wants everyone running around with autoimmune and chronic diseases and cancer and Alzheimer's at the rates we are getting in the United States. And I don't know what the rates are are in Australia, but it's alarming that cancer rates in the United States now for the generation born today are one in two. That is far too many. And breast cancer specifically is one in eight. One of the things that I I find so inspiring about what you're saying is that you are treating us as if we are holistic people. So often we tend to separate the body and the mind and the spirit, and they're all separate. And yet the way you're talking, we are completely connected as created by a, a creator. I'm sure that's intentional. Yes, because I found how powerful our emotions can be. It affects our body. It affects our immune system, what we eat. I mean, it all works together. And these eight steps in my book help you to have that holistic of mind, body, spirit working together on behalf of your immune system. All of these eight steps enhance this amazing immune system that God has given us. You know, I didn't go through the cancer journey blaming God. I was looking at what I needed to change. But what I discovered was gratitude for how God made this amazing immune system. And the problem we're having today with all these health problems is we are not capitalizing on that. We are suppressing a lot of the things we're doing when we don't move, when we don't hydrate, when we don't use food as medicine, when we get under too much stress and have all these negative emotions, all these things suppress our God-given immune system that was created by God to regenerate and heal on an everyday basis. It's amazing. The book, Unleash Your God-Given Healing, as I've mentioned, it's not just for those who have a diagnosis of cancer or, in fact, any diagnosis, but it's people who want to live well to avoid some of these things. I imagine that's available at the website, is it? It is. It's available at JennyBrandt.com. It's available on, on Amazon, but the links to Amazon are there. But it's a very valuable book for putting it all together for any health journey, especially a cancer journey. And I think that anyone who looks at the book, they'll say, just like you did, well, this is, these are common sense building blocks. How did, how did I miss this? If I'd known what I know now, Rodney, I don't believe I would have gotten cancer. There's a great opportunity for people to improve their life, not just physically, but mentally and especially spiritually through this book. And And I will put a link to your website in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find that easily. But I'm wondering for you, what's next on the agenda? You're an author. Surely there's another book sitting there somewhere ready to be written. Oh, my goodness. I have been spending so much time promoting this book and the message that I have not considered what I would write as a future book at this time. (laughs) This message is so key and it's so important that I'm continuing to use this, you know, to reach more people because 
it, this is a base message that so many people, so many Christians, so many people need to hear today, that this is where all of my time and focus is going. Now, I am writing articles for magazines, blog posts on other people's blogs, and my blog. And so I'm writing several articles a week. And those articles are heavily researched. If you sign up for my blog, like I just did something on flax seeds. It's good for men and women. Gave all the benefits for the heart, preventing cancer, all these things. And within the blog are the links to the medical research I got that information from. So if you're curious, you can click on it and go directly to the medical research. Writing an article that way takes a lot of time. But when you get the end product, it makes it even more beneficial. And you know that it's validated in medical research. Ginny, it really has been a delight to speak to you, and I know that people are going to want to get a hold of the book, to read your blog, to be in touch with you, just to know that we can live the way we were intended to live, and that some of these diseases that seem to ravage our populations these days don't have to exist, or we can overcome them. So I want to say thank you for the research that you've done on behalf of all of us. And thank you for your time on Bleeding Daylight. Thank you for allowing me to get my message out there, Rodney. It's been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net. 